everybody. How are we doing tonight? How about spring coming early, huh? Yes. Very good. I um, just came from an 80-year-old's birthday party. Just, I don't know. I just felt like you needed to know that that's where I've been today. I've seen some things. 80-year-olds, you know, my grandma, it's my grandma. It wasn't just a random 80-year-old off the street, but she is uh, 80 years old. And that's, that's no small feat. You deserve a party when you're 80. Not just because of the, you know, like the, the QVC deals that you can now snag or the passive-aggressive voicemails that you can leave and nobody can get mad at you because you're 80. But also just the fact that you're still standing. And we gathered around my grandma and we, we sang a song, we snapped some photos, we gave some good gifts. It was a celebration and it was beautiful. And as I was driving uh, to here from there, uh, I started thinking about, you know, you know, that party right there, but not just that party, also Monday night's New Year's Eve party, and not just Monday night's New Year's Eve party, but also Christmas parties, and then not just Christmas parties, but also Christmas Eve parties, and how calendars actually functionally contribute to our lives. The roles of calendars, they almost have this sacramental uh, means of offering us a real crack at sobriety. And here's what I mean. Calendars give us these chances, whether it's a birthday or an anniversary, to gather around these significant moments and remember that we love these people, remind ourselves again why we gather at all. It's not like we lo I don't love Lauren more on our anniversary than I do the rest of the year. The point is actually the rest of the year. We are reminded once again how to rejoin the love that we initially had. Calendars have a role. That's true for us as persons, and that's true for us as a people, as a church. Uh, Early in the church's inception, the church had a, a sense that we need to have a rhythm about how we go about these things. Some kind of spiritual biorhythm where we move in and throughout the seasons. And so we have these marking moments like Christmas and we have these marking moments like the cross. But there is also a space in between that we call the season of epiphany. That too is one of the marking moments. Epiphany comes from the Greek word uh, epiphania. And it has something to do with appearance, revelation. Many people would say many different things about this word. Some people only celebrate it on tonight, as that is the 12th day of Christmas, whereas others, like ourselves, are going to stretch it into a season and walk through Epiphany all the way to Ash Wednesday. Epiphany is about revelation. It's about light showing. If Christmas was about when God appeared, then Epiphany is about how God still appears. It's about light. It's about the dawn breaking forward, which is actually a helpful uh, way of understanding how, how it works. Helps us get a grasp on what's actually going down. Because when we turn on a light, it's not like something new is being created. It's just revealing what's already been there. When we say that God appears at Christmas, what we're saying is that God has already been here. But here, the word has taken on flesh and has manifested before our eyes. And so we're going to enter into the season of epiphany. Jesus is known as the revelation of God. And if he is the revelation, what exactly is being revealed? To go into this season, we're going to go to the text that uh, millions of our sisters and brothers and cousins across the world went into today. It's the text in Matthew 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. Uh, if you don't, though, that's fine, too. We won't judge you here. You're safe. Don't worry about it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Where's the one who has been born king of the Jews? Do you, do you remember when you first started to ask that question? When you first started to wonder, where is God? Where is the one? Do you remember how, how easy the answers used to come and how evasive they became as the years went on? Me too. Do you remember that question of where is God? The Magi, they go into the city of Jerusalem, the central place of power for the, Jer for the Jewish people, and they ask that question. Where is the one that's been born king of the Jews? Up and down the streets they walk in search of the sun that came from the stars. They went to the bakery where the old men gossiped. They went to the well where the women all provided for their families. They went to the schoolyards. They went to the courtyards. And yet in all of their pursuits of some kind of clarity, all they got were confused faces in return. Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? I, I wanted to talk um, all week, really, about the Magi and this text right here and how they're in Jerusalem, but that's still about nine miles away from where they need to be, not to mention the fact that by showing up here and running their mouths the way that they did, they incite a massacre that would kill hundreds, if not thousands, of children under two years old. I wanted to talk about how they stumbled their way and they are nine miles off, but then I read something in this text this afternoon that, that, um, that derailed everything as it tends to happen at the last minute because God's convenient like that. I hadn't noticed this before, but when the Magi are asking that question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? I had questions for myself about what kind of tone they took when they said that we saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. You can hear almost an exhaustion inside of it, right? But did you notice that word in the text that maybe doesn't always line up with all of our images of the story? When the Magi walk into the city, they look around for an answer. They find nobody even asking that question. And they say that we are here because we saw a star, which is very different than them saying we are here because we can see a star. It's a past tense thing. The star was loud, but, but it didn't lead. It was here, but then it was gone. It came but then it left. And I think the reason why I feel like even now as I'm talking about it, I'm trying to not get emotional is because I know exactly what it's like to have a story that has a star like that in it. In fact, I hadn't thought about it until this afternoon, but 12 years ago on this very date, um, I, I saw one. And I'm, I'm going to share it with you. Um, some of you guys know some of my story, and so I apologize for the redundancy, but um, when I first went to Bethel College, I did not, it was college at the time. I was, maybe we were at university, I don't remember, it doesn't matter, not important, focus map. Um, 
when I first went, I went very reluctantly. It wasn't psyched about it. It wasn't juiced about being at Bethel, be it college or university. There was no reason to get excited about it for me. For me, by and large, uh, I struggled my way through high school. It wasn't like a great student by, by any stretch of the imagination. And thought that I would go somewhere like a UMD. That's what my plan was. Go up there, get my business degree, and, and live happily ever after. Part of the reason behind it was I didn't really buy into the story that we're taking in tonight. I, I, would, I wouldn't say I was an atheist. I would call myself an agnostic. I, I believe that there is something out there that is, is greater than our material reality. There is something. There is this holy hum underneath all things. I just don't have a name for what that hum would be. And so as I was sizing up schools, my mom, she had a job at Bethel. And so she presented the opportunity for me to go to Bethel almost free of tuition, an opportunity that I did not want to pass up. And so I went. And my uh, agnosticism, if you will, it lasted about a half an hour at Bethel, three, three, four months to be exact. I went there and I roomed up with a roomie who was one of my closest of friends and still is to this day. We grew up together. And I started watching how he would do his life, and there would obviously be this compare and contrast between how I was doing mine. We weren't going out in the town or doing everything together, but we'd live together. And so there was a closeness there that we, we were influencing one another as we exchanged words and ideas and thoughts and everything in between. And one of the things that I noticed about him early side of December was that Ryan had a spiritual rhythm in his life, almost like a calendar where every morning he would wake up and he'd get into scripture or he would get into, is, is that me making those noises? Okay, Siri, not now. Oh, this is embarrassing. Okay, focus. Ryan had, Ryan had, a, um, Ryan had a rhythm. Ryan had a rhythm. That's where it was. He had a devotional that he'd get into every morning. He would uh, wake up early, put his nose in the... St- I don't even remember what the book was, but the strangest thing started to happen for me was I would wake up in the middle of night and start wishing I had some sense of stability like that. I wasn't itching to become a Christian. wasn't, especially at Bethel, I was like, I don't want to be a Christian like that. There was something that just wasn't... It, I didn't want to do it. But I wanted some kind of connection, I wanted some means of responding to the holy hum that I'd always sensed that was out there. And there was something about the what thing that Ryan was doing that made me feel like maybe that's how you, you do that. So I started waking up in the middle of the night almost uh, every other day. I'm not trying to be dramatic, but it would just be this weird uh, like overarching sensation like where I wish I had a devotional or some kind of like, I wish I was equipped to know how to handle this. And uh, Christmas came around that year. And uh, my grandpa is like a four-season check giver. He's not going to like go to Southdale and scout out the next best thing for you. He's going to write you a check. And so we're at Christmas, and he's, he's getting us together for the gift-giving time, and he's handing out these checks that he has written. And he gets to, to mine, and, and he says, hey, Matt, I want to talk to you really quick. And he takes me into this other room, and he gives me this gift, and it's a book. In fact, it's a devotional. And he says, don't worry, the check's in the back. So I was like, good, good. we good. <laughs> I'll read your book. And so um, I took this thing home and I started paging through it and um, was fascinated by it. This led me to study just questions about Jesus and about religion and about could, 
Could Christianity be a home for somebody like me? On the fence, not quite in, but looking. And um, I loved it. I felt like I was figuring out some kind of rhythm, like I was figuring out a way to get out of bed and find uh, my feet in the morning. And I uh, made it actually one of the things I look forward to most next to coffee, right? Like it was right after that that I was most looking forward to this until one day when I didn't, 12 years ago from this day right now. There was one morning where I didn't look at my devotional, Oswald Chambers, Upmost from Ohio's. And um, here's why that's interesting. Is that afternoon I was about to go downtown. We had uh, these fake ideas. We were going to go to the library bar. Not an important detail. Could have kept that to myself. (laughs) But we were going to go downtown. And so I was taking a shower that afternoon. And it was about 3.30. And um, I'm going to share this. It's going to sound strange, and I think I'm okay with that. I stood in the shower, and, and I don't know if the water was on just too hot or what, but, like, for a moment, it felt like my life was flashing before my eyes. Like, I had this, I had a girlfriend at the time who said to me once in the car, Matt, there is more to you than you are letting others see. And her voice just kept echoing again and again in my head. And I had images in my head of... of um, a lot of different things, music and writing and, and relationships that I was in. And I stepped out of the shower, and my first thought was I had not read that morning devotional, which is a strange response to a moment like that, <laughs> but it was. And I went back to my bedroom, and I pulled open the devotional, and I read these words. Thank God for the sight of all you have not yet become. You've had the vision, but you're not there yet by any means. It's when we're in the valley where we prove whether we will be the choice ones that most of us decide to turn back. We're not quite prepared for the blows which must come if we're going to turn into the shape of the vision that you've just had. We have seen what we are not and what God wants us to be, but we are willing to have the vi- but are we willing to have the vision battered to shape and used by God? I didn't know what the move was at that point, but I I got on my knees, because that's what I thought you did, (laughs) and I said, I'm in. And then I got got up off my knees, and I went to school, and I went to an admissions counselor and said, I'd like to change my major from business to Bible, because that's how impulsive people would do things, and not think twice, and, but I saw a star, and so I made a step. And what's interesting to me is I read this text and I think about this story is that if you would have asked me at that time when I made that step, I expected the star to step with me. I expected that that I would continue to be led beyond the admissions counselor, that this thing would continue to pop up, that there would be explicit manifestations of God's wisdom in my life again and again, telling me what to wear, what to eat, who to be with, where to go, How am I supposed to do my day in and day out lives? And yet, by and large, when I speak about the star, it's one that I saw and yet only so often can see. Epiphanies are strange like that, right? They're loud, but they don't consistently lead. They flash, but then they flee. If they are this grandiose light, it's less of a pouring in as it is a slow leak. 
or you catch a drip here and you catch a drip there. And you do the best that you can then. You see the star and then you go to the place where you believe the star has pointed you to go. And so for me, I went where the Magi went. I went to the places of power where I thought that God was. I met with people like Herod who used scripture as a weapon as opposed to a means of liberation. I thought God was in those refined places, the sexy places, the rock band worship, all of that. Christian, I love your music. God's in it. But then you get there and you start asking the question, has anybody seen the king? Because I saw a star and I do not see that star right now. Epiphanies are strange like that. I wish somebody would have told me at the time. With the wise men, I can hear them expressing in the tone that they took. That desperate sense of, I know I saw something. It rose. I don't know what it ran to after that, but we did see something. And the text would go on to tell us, and I don't know where it says this. So give me a minute here. I'm going to keep going. We're fine. The text would go on to tell us that after after they have seen the star and they start to step and they make their way forward and they're looking for answers and finding none anywhere, there comes a point again where after they stumble and are twisted and torn, where it says that they saw the star again and they were overjoyed. Why do you come to church on Sunday nights? I mean, what keeps you in this story at all? Christianity is about the steps that you take in between the stars that you see. It's about how you live your life when the stars aren't right above your head. When you had a glimpse a long time ago, but it's been a little while since. See, but I understand why the wise men, why the magi, why they moved to this place where they struggled and they tripped and they stumbled and they made a mess. But why after seeing the star again that they once saw before, why they went to a place of worship at the end? Because if the story is true, then when the light shined and showed that God had appeared, then God has always been here. This is the reason why I show up at church. It's making me now think of this story I heard a doctor once tell. There's a doctor who was performing a a, uh, operation on this lady who had a tumor in her brain. And part of the operation, they had the doctor had to make this decision of how they're going to go about doing it. And one of the choices that he had to make was to take out this nerve on her face that permanently would leave her face half um, disfigured, slumped, numb forever. And when the woman woke up, immediately her first reaction was to touch her face. She could feel that something was different. She didn't know what. And so she asked the doctor, and she said, is it always going to be this way? And he said, I'm afraid so. We, We had to do it. There was no other way to go about this. And she said, can you hand me a mirror? And the doctor goes and he gets a mirror. And when he brings it to her, she holds it up to her face and she starts to weep out of the one side that can still react. 
On the other side of the bed from where the doctor stood was her husband. And as he's watching his wife weep, he smiles and he says, I think I, I kind of like it. It's cute. And then he bends down and he contorts his face to reflect her pain. And he kisses her on the lips. And he says, see, babe, the kiss still works. The kiss still works. In between the stars. When we start stepping, believing that God is pulling us forward, believing that there is a lover and that we are the loved, and we go forward even if we make a mess along the way. Will we be a people this year who keep our eyes open for the reappearance of the stars that we once saw rise so we can recognize again and again that the kiss still works and that in between the time that we cannot find the stars, that doesn't mean that the star hasn't found us already. Will you pray with me? Christ, you are good. Christ, we are grateful. You have been faithful even as we make a mess, even as we stumble our way towards the place where you are. God, give us the courage to step into the places and ask, have you seen him? To be vulnerable, to be hopers, to be stargazers. Christ, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I liked Matt's question, why do, why do I come to church on Sunday nights? Just thinking about this being a place that is safe to live in between the stars, that we can come together. Maybe some of us has, have felt like we've never even seen the star. Maybe it's been a long time and we've forgotten. Maybe for some of us we... We have small little epiphanies along the way, glimpses that keep us going. But what I love about the table is that it is a place that we can come together no matter where we are, somewhere in that in-between. And we can remind one another of the love behind that star, a love that pursues us. The star that the Magi went to worship represented the birth of Jesus, God on earth. And that Jesus, later on in the story, sat at a table with his disciples and broke bread when he said, this is my body broken for you. That was the love behind that star. And when you eat this bread, remember me. And he took the cup and he poured wine into the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you when you drink from this cup. Drink from it and remember me. And so that's what we do. We take this bread and we dip it into the cup and we remember the love behind that star. We remember those moments that we've had a glimpse of that love and the rightness in it. And then sometimes we forget we have each other. So during the music, we invite you to come forward. And there'll be gluten-free elements right up front. 
regular elements on the side. And you can take your bread and dip it into the cup. No matter where you are. So please stand as together we pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.